Good morning. If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in 1 Corinthians, but we'll start in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. It is, it is good to be here this morning. It's good to be here with people that I love and people that I like, too. Um, what a blessing to have brothers and sisters in Christ of like mind and like faith. Brooklyn and I were together um, Friday afternoon, just the two of us, and we met this guy from the Metroplex, and we were ex exchanging some pleasantries and, and talking about where we were from and where we grew up, and I said, well, I grew up in West Texas, because he was asking about Lufkin. I said, but we've been here 12 years, and this is the only home my girls have ever known, and Brooklyn looks up at him and says, I was born and raised in Lufkin, um, and that's right. But what a blessing that she was born and raised among this group of people. Um, I, I thank God for that, and I thank God for that often. Thank you for being who you are. And thank you for being here this morning so that we might build one another up, that we might stir one another up to love and good works. Let's talk for a moment this morning about the pattern of the New Testament and following that pattern. I believe that the New Testament provides a pattern for the way things were done in the first century and that that pattern gives us a framework for the way God intends for things to be done in the church today. Paul taught that we were to follow the apostles' examples. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 17, he says, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk. Note other people who walk like me, as you have us for a pattern. Later in chapter 4 and verse 9, he says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. He says, if you live your life like the way I've lived my life in an imitation of Jesus Christ, then you will do well and the God of peace will be with you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 13 through 16, Paul tells this young church that they should stand firm and hold to the traditions that were taught by us to you, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He says, hold fast to tradition. And yet we know that Jesus clearly condemns the tradition of men. So what is the tradition that they were to hold fast to? It was what you were taught by us, the apostles, either by our spoken word or by our letter. It was the traditions, if you want to call it that, of the apostles. Whether they were taught those things in person, straight from the mouths of those men, or whether an inspired writer wrote to them, they were supposed to hold fast to those things and not change. And I believe that that admonition to follow the pattern that we see in the New Testament is not just for us as individuals, it's also something that applies to local churches as well. Paul especially emphasized this need to, to closely imitate the divinely received pattern for life, for worship, for the organization of the church in writing to the church in Corinth. So turn to 1 Corinthians. And if you'll make the effort to turn over to 1 Corinthians, that's where almost all of the rest of the lesson will come from this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read there first. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In verse 16, 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Therefore, 
I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere, in every church. I want you to imitate me. And Timothy's coming to remind you of those things. And I teach these same things. I teach these same things everywhere in every church where I go. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 17. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain, New King James says, in all the churches. Maybe your translation says, in terminology we use more frequently, as I direct in all the churches. He says, in all the churches I direct this same thing. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Again, he emphasizes, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Paul says, imitate me, not because Paul's the standard, even as an apostle, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And in verse 16 of the same chapter, But if anyone seems to be contentious about this local custom, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. So you've got some traditions there where you are in Corinth, but you need to make sure that you're following what the churches of God are doing. Why do you think he needed to say this over and over and over? He says it in other books, and we could turn to those other places and read this. But why do you think he had to say this idea of follow the pattern? Do it just like I taught you. Do it just like we see the apostles teaching. Do it just like this. Why do you think he had to say that over and over to the church in Corinth? I mean, have you read the letter? They were changing everything. I mean, they were going off in every which way, in every different direction, changing the work of the church, changing the worship of the church, changing their relationships with one another as Christians. And so he says, you can't just change the worship and walk of the Christian to something else. You need to follow this pattern that was laid down by the apostles, like me. And all of that comes from Christ. And he tells them twice in this letter, twice he says, I'm teaching the same thing in every church, everywhere I go, in every church that is established, in every church I go back to, in every church to whom I write, I'm teaching the same gospel. I'm teaching the same doctrine. And that idea, that phrase, the same thing in every church, it only makes sense if every church is what? Supposed to look the same. Not in its makeup of its people but in what the church does. And if we could all be different, different kinds of churches from place to place or time to time, then Paul would have taught different things depending on, depending on the background and makeup of his audience. You think about it. The Apostle Paul, he went and he taught uh, and, he, and he converted. He went to towns that were primarily made up of Jewish folks, right? And, and the church was primarily made up of Jewish folks who had this long history with the old law and the law of Moses. And, and if every church could be different, certainly that would be different than, than, say, a place like Philippi. A place like Philippi that was a very Gentile city, just like Corinth, but Philippi was also a place where you had a bunch of Roman soldiers. So Roman soldiers versus people from this Jewish background? No. Paul says you're all generally supposed to be the same, following the same pattern according to the same doctrine laid down by the apostles. 
And I think that fact, that he taught the same thing everywhere, tells us that we are supposed to follow the same pattern today. And there are some specifics that we could get into and in how we try and make that happen. But I'll tell you, that general philosophy applies to what we do here at Timberland Drive Church of Christ. We're trying to follow what the first century church did in a 21st century world. Because we know that that's pleasing to God. And if we do those same kinds of things, we can be pleasing to God as well. Lots of patterns we could talk about. But by request from one of our elders, I want to talk to you about one of those specific patterns this morning. And that specific pattern is in regard to our pattern for giving. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, he requested this a a, a number of uh, weeks ago. And Wednesday night, I came up to him and I said, look, I I think I'm going to preach that lesson on giving on Sunday morning. That's my plan. I've got the lesson together and so forth. And he uh, responded to that. Um, He was a little anxious, I think, when he said this. He said, now, you're not going to tell us everything the Bible has to say about giving, right? And I was a little incredulous about that. No, no, of course not. Is that the way, is that what you think? Is that the way I preach, those sorts of things? Of course not. And then yesterday, as I'm looking over my notes for my lesson today, I realized I'm trying to tell them everything that the Bible says about giving this morning. So here we go. By giving, I mean our giving to the work of the church. And we see that primarily in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. I came to my senses, okay? That's, that's what I'm telling you. I came to my senses, and I want to focus on 1st Corinthians this morning, and then we'll move to 2nd Corinthians tonight. And I hope you can come back tonight or watch the lesson on the live stream as we talk about some very powerful and practical things from 2nd Corinthians But I want us to consider the pattern that we find in 1 Corinthians this morning. For now, let's stay right here in 1 Corinthians and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. Again, the idea of a pattern is how did they do it in the first century? Can we do something similar in the church today? Verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, now Galatia was a region, there were lots of churches up there in Galatia, north of Asia Minor, it'd be helpful if there was a map where I was making these hand motions, right? Um, So you think northeast from Corinth, in Galatia, in this area, lots of churches, I gave them the same orders that I'm giving you on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But If it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So I told the churches in Galatia what I'm telling you. You're sending money to needy brethren in Judea, in Jerusalem. I'm going to come there. You lay something aside. Uh, buy in store on every first day of the week uh, and I'll pick that up when I come and I will take that directly to them just as I'm doing with these other churches. The pattern of the New Testament in regard to our organized giving, that is giving to the local church treasury, not, not general generosity or charity as Mark talked about as individuals, but, but together our collective giving is laying by in store 
on the first day of the week as we stand and sing, right? Well, let's think about some specifics in regard to that. Um, I want you to think about four things that are made very clear uh, from this passage. And I think these things are helpful to us when we kind of go down the wrong road in regard to our thinking uh, when it comes to our collective giving to the local congregation. Four things. Number one, this giving was proactive in nature. They were preparing to send this money in the future. And we learned from 2 Corinthians that it was over a year later before they actually sent the money to Jerusalem for this need. A number of years ago, um, when I was a, a much younger preacher, I attended a weeknight of a gospel meeting. Uh, and there was a visiting preacher there at this, this local congregation and he just kind of got up in the pulpit and started berating the local congregation. I said, this is a bold move. Let's see where this goes. And specifically the elders of that congregation, because somehow he had gotten a hold of their financials, and, and he said it was sinful how much money they had in the bank. And he didn't stop at his personal judgment, but he insinuated that to have tens of thousands of dollars set aside, currently unused, was sinful. And that local churches should find a way to spend whatever money they have in, in preaching the gospel or helping needy saints and rely on the Lord to provide for future needs rather than storing up money for the future. That was kind of the phrase he used over and over again. Um, and uh, I didn't know much back then. I, I, maybe I don't know much now. I knew less back then. Um, and so I, I kind of studied that and thought about that. What do you think? Without knowledge of the specific situation, the, the congregation that he was talking about, it wasn't here, it was somewhere else, was his overall point biblically valid? Not according to this verse. For a year they were storing up. They were storing up those monies in, in hopes of using that in the future. And no doubt we trust the Lord to provide... But we should be proactive in perhaps fulfilling His providence in meeting needs that we do not foresee. It is no mistake that one of the words that the Bible uses for an elder is that word that we translate overseer. So we have shepherds, elders, overseers. That's all the same position. Those men who look after our spiritual well-being but also have oversight over physical things like, like the money, like the treasury. What is, what is an overseer when you hear that word? We would use the word steward, perhaps. It's someone who manages wisely the assets of his master. And so our elders are stewards. They're overseers for their master. And their master is Jesus Christ. And God desires for them to be proactive he desires for them to be wise in spiritual things, but in physical things as well. And I think we have a great biblical example of this idea of an overseer or a steward who was wise in the things that he did and ultimately fulfilled the will of God in doing that. I, I think Joseph, uh, we're talking about proactive giving. If you saw the little thing that went out the other day, that's what we're talking about, proactive giving. I think Joseph is a great example of this. If you want to turn back to Genesis chapter 41, we remember that Joseph was in prison. Uh, he gets the call to come to Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And that's what he does. And he tells Pharaoh, look, uh, your dream is gonna, means that there are going to be seven years of plenty, 
followed by seven years of famine, and the famine is going to be so bad it's going to make you forget about the seven years of plenty. And you need to start preparing for those years that, that are coming. And so, so Pharaoh says, well, who better to do this than you? You're the one who has this wisdom from God. And so this concept of an overseer or steward is revisited several times in this chapter. Take verse 34, for example. Joseph suggests that Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land. And so Pharaoh responds to Joseph and he says to him in verse 40, You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. You're going to be the overseer of my house. And verse 41, See, I have set you over, not just my house, but all the land of Egypt. And the text says, verse 43, that's exactly what Pharaoh did. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. And so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt, verse 45. And the text goes on to describe the, the careful planning that they did, the storage of grain that was accomplished during those years of plenty. Joseph was made the overseer, the steward of all the land of Egypt. And it was through his stewardship that Egypt... And then the family of Israel, remember when they come to Egypt looking for food? And ultimately all the earth, all the countries of the earth, verse 57 says, they had food during this severe famine. Why? Because they were proactive in preparing for that famine that was coming. Here's the question. Who provided food for the famine? Did God provide food for the famine? I would say yes. I would say yes. Through the faithful oversight of Joseph. And Joseph saw this and Joseph acknowledged this. If, if you turn to, to Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19. Uh, their, their father Israel dies and Joseph's brothers think, oh now he's going to really get us. And in verse 19 Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? No, of course not. And Joseph said, Do not be afraid, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. God was the one who brought this about. But he did it through the careful planning and oversight of Joseph, that he was proactive in these things. In our text this morning, the Corinthian brethren back there in 1 Corinthians 16 were instructed to put something aside and store it up for the needy saints in Jerusalem so that they wouldn't be scrambling to collect something when Paul came to them, so that that money would be in order to help those saints. And the Lord provided for the needy saints in Jerusalem through the stewardship and proactive giving of churches in Galatia, we're told, also Macedonia and Achaia, and right here in Corinth. May I suggest that God's providence can work the same way today? Not through dreams where we see the future, but by through men and women preparing for the future. Money might be set aside for unforeseen, unforeseen by us, not by God, expenses relating to the work of the church or to needy brethren, and this does not mean that our eldership is lacking in faith or that they're not relying on God. Uh, I've seen these men on a number of occasions say, well, there's a need here, 
So we're going to send money to that need and we're going to trust the Lord to provide and building back up the things that we have so that we can meet another need in the future. It is the Lord who provides on those occasions. But He does so through the overseer's faithful stewardship of our proactive giving on a weekly basis. And we see this in action, uh, for example, whenever we see a natural disaster somewhere. Uh, We think about hurricanes and floods and tornadoes where we have sent money and sent money very quickly because that money was available. Needs were met and met quickly because churches had the funds on hand, not just us, but other churches, to send those funds immediately to brethren who were in need. And we see this in regard to the preaching of the gospel as well. Remember when Bill Bynum was stuck in the Czech Republic? Uh, he talked about that when he was here before he went back and we're supporting him in that effort there. He was stuck because he was over there when the COVID pandemic began and he had to stay far longer than he was supposed to. But help was sent to provide for those needs because of the faithful oversight and stewardship of congregations like this one. So praise God for His provision. But also praise God for wise stewardship of overseers in local churches and members who are willing to be proactive in following this pattern of laying something by in store. So the first thing we see is that it was proactive. Secondly, we see that this was for those in churches. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, you want to turn back there with me. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. Now, you're good Bible students. You know, churches are just people, groups of local people who have come together pooling their resources and talents and abilities to worship and to serve God. And we see that this letter was written to a local church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, he says, To the church of God which is at Corinth, uh, to which it's addressed. So this giving is happening on a local church level. And it is for members of the local churches. There's not some organization or or mediary where we're all going to send money to this one group or this one business and it's going to go out from there. No, local churches are doing this. And and that's why um, it's something that we say very often is when we talk about the giving, the local giving here, and hear me clearly on this if you're visiting with us this morning, It is never a solicitation from those who are visiting here. Uh, We are so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you've chosen to be here. We're not after your money. Um, That's not our purpose here this morning. And we we never want to make it seem like that we're, we just want you here for your money, that sort of idea. Um, I never have felt that way when visiting somewhere where, ooh, you know, they're just after my money. There have been a few places perhaps where I can kind of got a bad vibe or whatever the case might be. But I know that others have had that that kind of feeling visiting at churches where it feels like people are after their money. Uh, A few years ago, my father-in-law, Steve Reeves, was here. And uh, Steve is so good. He's always looking for opportunities to to talk to people about spiritual things, to talk about the gospel. And uh, there was this guy at Five Guys... uh, Rest in peace, R.I.P. Five Guys, right? Uh, burgers and fries. Uh, there was this guy that was a worker there that I'd kind of gotten a relationship with, and I was building up toward inviting this guy to come to services. Um, and Steve was there with me, and so I introduced Steve. He's my father-in-law and so forth. And he says, well, you know Reagan preaches yet, right? And he's like, yeah, I know he's a preacher. Well, have you come to hear him preach yet? 
He's like, no, I hadn't come to hear him preach yet. And he's like, well, come on, you know, you're, you're going to be made to feel welcome. Everybody there is friendly. I'm a visitor too. I've been, and everybody was nice to me, not just because I'm the father-in-law of the preacher. They're just good people. And then he said something that kind of surprised me. Steve did. Steve said, and when you come, nobody's going to be trying to like get you to give some money or anything like that. That's, that's not what it's about. They want to offer spiritual things to you. And when he said it, I was like, well, why would you say that? Like, is that something you're really going to lead with? And it's amazing. Um, Steve just has good feel, and I think uh, the Lord's providence maybe is involved in that too. This guy looked back at him and he said, yeah, I've visited at lots of places, and it seems like the only thing they were interested in was my money. Well, that's not at all what we're about here. If you're visiting with us, we're, we're grateful that you've come seeking spiritual things. And spiritual things is what we offer. This giving is for those who are already a part of a local church, like this local church. It is by the saints, and it is for the saints. And certainly we see that here with this letter to the church in Corinth. So it's the giving for those who are already in these local churches. Number three... This giving was collected on Sunday. It was not something that was just stored up at home. And maybe sometimes, even at first reading, or maybe you've heard, that's the idea there. You know, you've got this fund set aside back at home, you know, the money jar or something in the bank, and you're putting the money aside to be used later. I don't think that's what we find here, and there are a few reasons why. Other passages imply that the church can and does have a common treasury or accumulation of funds for the work of the local church. Um, Acts chapter 4 might be a good example for that. It's not on the screen, but let's turn to Acts chapter 4, uh, in there, verses 34 and 35. Now this is right when the church is beginning. Everybody's still in Jerusalem, remember? And it says in verse 34, Great grace was upon them all, verse 33, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they, the apostles, distributed to each one as anyone had need. Now we have other passages that imply this very idea, but this is kind of the first really clear example of this, that they're pooling their resources together and then those resources are used to meet the needs of folks who are in the local church. But the passage in 1 Corinthians that we've read shows how this money was collected in local churches in the first century, in churches in Corinth and Galatia and other places. And we know this um, for a number of reasons, not just that we can do this, but that that's what they were doing. We know it because of the Greek word itself. This Greek word for collection it's used twice here in these two verses, is primarily used for religious collections. So uh, in the Greek language, they would use this for all sorts of different collections, for different temples or different gods. It's money that is pooled together, uh, not something that we just save up ourselves. And then secondly, I think even more powerfully, not just the word itself, but what was the reason why Paul said that you needed to do this on the first day of the week? What does the text say? Not a Bible class, you can't answer, but answer in your, I guess you could, we're not gonna. Answer in your own head, I guess. What's the reason why he says do this on the first day of the week? That there be no collections when I come. That's the emphasis. 
make this collection so that I'm not having to go around and, oh, you've got your penny jar over here and you've got your penny jar over here and now we need to get all of that together so that we can send it off. No, this collecting should have already happened before I come so that when I get there, I'm able to take that to other people. It's not just stored at home. They literally would have a collection. Now, in our modern world, that collection might look different in some ways than in their day. Instead of uh, gold, anybody bring gold to put in the plate back there or silver? What about Roman coins? No, that's not where the emphasis is, and we understand that. It might be a check. Um, A lot of us write checks in order to do this. Um, In some places, it's a credit card or a donation app, things like that. And those things, even a check, I've got one here in my pocket right here this morning. Um, I think I'm supposed to do that in secret, but uh, it's there, right? Even a check, it's not going to hit the bank today. All of the banks are closed. It might be several days later. But I've already laid it aside, put it into the collection, and I've purposed in my heart to give it today on the first day of the week according to this pattern. And then finally, number four, this giving is something that occurred on every first day of the week. It's not just you know some first days of the week when we feel like it as local members. It's something that was intended to be done on every first day of the week. The phrase that is used there in Greek is kata main, every first day of the week. And a lot of our translations don't have that every in there. And yet if we compare it to some other passages, I think we can see this very clearly. Uh, Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, for example. Kata ekklesian, that is every church. This is something that's going to happen in every church. Acts 15, 21, kata polen, they went to every city. And then even in Revelation 22 and verse 2, kata mina, every month this was going to happen. And so we see that same thing here in 1 Corinthians, that it is kata main every first day of the week. This regularly, uh, this regu- uh, regularity fits with what we see in the first century, and it fits what, with what we see in the, the church beyond that. Christians assembled every first day of the week to worship, to partake of the Lord's Supper, and while they were there, they gave of their means. And obviously, doing this on a weekly basis just makes sense, doesn't it? It's it's easier to save up the needed money. It's easier for us to to put it aside and and to to commit in our own minds and hearts to giving that money when it's something that we know that is happening every week. And we might lay by in store on Sunday to help with the preaching of the gospel in Lufkin or elsewhere in the world. We might lay by in store to help needy saints in our congregation or other places Uh, like they were doing here in our example in 1 Corinthians. And and we trust the oversight of our elders in using those funds appropriately for the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And here's the great thing. In doing so, whether we put in much or whether we put in little, we have fellowship. We have fellowship with those who are being helped. We have fellowship with those who are preaching the gospel and we're helping to support them in that effort. We have fellowship in these good works merely by our charity, by our giving. This is the pattern. And we are wise to follow it because God's way works. And we have faith that God knows what is best, even in things like collective giving, something that seems like such a nuts and bolts sort of issue. 
But he knows what is best and more important and more powerful ways too, like how to be saved. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians, will you turn back to uh, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for just a moment. Obviously, uh, this is a different kind of lesson. Uh, tonight, we're going to talk about attitudes and our heart and those sorts of things. Um, and yet, if God's way is best and we should follow God's pattern in all things, surely in obeying the gospel and coming to God, we should follow the pattern also. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus came and he died on a cross. He had lived a perfect life, a life without sin, and he made a sacrifice on our behalf. That was... That was foolishness to the Greeks, that your God would come and die. It was a stumbling block to the Jews. Cursed is anyone who hangs upon the tree, but it was the wisdom of God to do it this way. And just as Jesus was buried and rose again on the third day, conquering death and the grave, so too we must follow that pattern of putting off our old man of sin, crucifying the flesh with its passion and desires, going down into a, a grave, uh, not of stone, but of water. And we too can rise to walk in newness of life, conquering spiritual death and sin through his blood. And if you need to follow that pattern, even this morning, won't you come now, while together we stand and while we sing.